0: If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing, integrity matters. Let's talk a
1: little spring training baseball. Sports Radio 810 WHB has you covered in Surprise, Arizona with the dynamic duo of Soren Petro and Jack Johnson. Good morning, fellas. What's up?
0: Uh, you know, everything. Us, for one, we're up and at them. You know, that's a, that's a big deal after we uh, attacked a Brazilian steakhouse Ooh. with some friends. Or a Brazilian meat house or a meat hut. Steakhouse counts. Is it a? St- it, I mean, I guess there was steak, steak was coming around inflation. on sticks. Yeah, meat on sticks.
1: I like the concept of a meat house better than a steakhouse, yeah. though. You know, yeah. they got some pork it, and some chicken. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't
0: formal. We could wear a sweatshirt yeah. and shorts. So, well, I don't know. I don't know if you were supposed to, but we you did. Tubby here rolled in <laughs> in shorts and a hoodie.
1: You need something with a, comfort. You need something with an elastic waistband when you're going to go to a place like that, well, right?
0: I, I I didn't go that far, but one of the people <laughs> that we were eating with, uh, former Seattle. Mariner Bucky Jacobson, mm. uh, was in full on like sandals, gym oh, yeah. shorts, and in uh, yeah. a hoodie, and he he came with a flexible waistband, and he, he took a shot at eating him out of meat. I mean, yeah. it was it was an impressive, dangerously so close. Hey.
1: So, you guys are at the training table, basically. I mean, it's, it's get, you're getting, you're getting ramped up. What, by the way, when you say you're up, I always forget, Arizona's one of the states that actually doesn't participate in time? Correct. So, which, Mm -hmm. what are you now? An hour or two hours?
0: We're just one behind their mountain time, gotcha. and then when they spring forward, they they go to they end up being uh, Pacific time. So we're just we're we're just an hour. It's an hour earlier. So you will thank us for getting up and oh, making it happen.
1: Hundred percent. I mean, Warriors. You know, I mean, it's it, it's a uh, dedication to the craft. Uh, but I've never said anything differently. I just just on a tangent though. Can I say they're the only people that actually get it right by not participating in this charade of of, of changing absolutely. times. Indianapolis doesn't. Like, well, what are we doing here? they be like, well, the sun's going to come up, and it's going to go down, you know? <laughs> don't get me started,
2: Nate, because I can get into this, like, oh boy. health-wise. Oh, boy. Like, yes. it, like the amount but, of but heart attacks that
0: it causes? No, hang on. I do want to get into it, because, Jake, like, but I want I want full-time daylight savings. Can we do that? That's what I want. Sure, I, don't, I don't, want don't care which one. Just sucks. stick
1: with it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't care full-time which one. Full-time daylight
0: savings. I, I don't like it being... You know, especially you know, like it's dark when Curtis and I drag our asses out of that station, right? Like in the dead of winter, it sucks.
1: Yeah. So I don't even know which one, which one is daylight savings because there's the same amount of daylight. We're on standard time right right now. Eight. We're on this standard. Is, yeah. This is okay.
0: Central. This is CST. Okay. Central Standard Time for you. We, of course, are MST, and we will remain MST. Or you could call us. PDT, Pacific Daylight Time, here when, I don't know, March 3rd, 5th, 10th, whatever it is, whenever we spring forward.
1: Such a dumb concept. Daylight savings time. There's the same amount of daylight. You're not changing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the farmers. Thank you, farmers. Sorry, Stepdad Joe.
0: Which actually is like a is like a misnomer. It's right. not for the. They're farmers, still going to get up at the you know, same like yeah. same time. They're still going to get up with with, with <laughs> the sun.
1: I remember this. One of the things I learned when I was ripped out of my Kansas City home and sent to a farm in Ark City to work as a youth. My stepdad Joe said, "Listen, son, you make hay when the sun shines. We don't punch wow. a clock here. But guess what? You know now, now they, have, they have combines with lights on them now. Yep." So that are God. that are yeah. that are actually being governed by satellites. They don't even have to drive the steering wheel. No, anyway, was, boy, right. we part, got on a tangent here, didn't we?
0: Part of the flaw there was. I don't know that you make hay. You know,
1: <laughs> you repay. The, the you sow hay. The hay factor. Cut hay. Yeah. Making the hay. Yeah, that's what we do. We make hay. It's like hot avocados. Yeah, you make, make avocados. They make the best avocados. <laughs> Just
0: yeah. like Ronnie Light Ly- always taught us back no, in the day. But, but they make, they don't talk to small markets like Kansas City. So,
1: oh, is that right? Did you, get, you got uh, big timed by you Remember Lyons? that I got oh, like, like, yeah. I like
0: fifteen years ago. We got big timed, and I and I well, we went on the air and told the story, and everybody from Kansas City started bombing them uh, on their emails and everything. And the next day, the lady comes around, and goes, "There was a miscommunication. Ah. I never said it wouldn't come on." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." It's uh, always a miscommunication. It's simple. Hot avocado board. They make the best avocados. I mean, I've been eating
2: avocados since I was five years old. Matter of fact, I think I'm gonna ship some of these. Ship some.
0: Uh, house
1: avocados, too. What you do with the avocados is your business? That's your
0: business. And how you eat them and where you put them, that's your problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, set the scene for us besides the Brazilian meat house. Uh, you guys arrived this weekend. What uh, Paint the picture for us of what we're seeing in Surprise, Arizona right now.
0: A lot of new faces, right? Like, that's, that's the biggest thing. You go in that clubhouse, it's like, all right, who's this guy? Who's that guy? Who's this guy? You know, uh, I you know, did a quick look. Jack and I were going through the faces like, all right, well, let's refresh our memory. What's Michael Waka look like? Yep. And Jack, of course, like, he's like 6'8". You can't miss that. <laughs> like, you know. I'm like oh all right my bad you know but uh, yeah it's a lot, lot of new faces
3: yeah I mean uh, I had the chance to sit down with both um, Matt Sauer and James McCarthy yesterday and MacArthur we all knew was a big dude about six foot seven closed out games last year um, talked about developing a new cutter so that's kind of been the theme with the pitchers uh, this camp is that you know who doesn't have a new pitch at this point that seems like it's been very much hammered in by Brian Sweeney and Zach Bove you know making sure they've got a good Arsenal fine-tuning those pitches and both those guys I talked to kind of you know went into that a little bit, but yeah, like Soren said, lots of new faces down here. Um, had the chance to to see a couple of bullpens, saw some live BP. Daniel Lynch was kind of the talk yesterday. Uh, he was popping the glove pretty good. He faced a couple of the catchers yesterday in kind of a one-on-one, you know, live BP session. Freddie Fermin was out there. Uh, Salvi didn't hit yesterday. Probably will see him a little bit more today, but. Yeah, hit the nail on the head there. There's a lot of new guys out here uh, trying to familiarize yourself, and there's just
0: tons of players out and, here. And, Nate, let's, uh, get uh, get ready. <laughs> Everybody looks good. Uh, uh, best shape. Best, best shape, shape. Early life. reports. <laughs> early reports. In fact, opening day starter, Asa Lacey. I mean, yeah, uh... no. No. I think we asked about Asa Lacey as, like, who? Uh... <laughs>
1: not uh, Not on the radar right now, huh?
0: uh no not on the radar
1: um by the way when you guys brought this up you can put together a hell of a of a, of a basketball team I don't know yes. if they have any skill Lynch is six six I was like how tall is Brady singer I just looked him up he's listed at six five MacArthur six seven I mean is that by the way is that part of the analytics approach is that something that I didn't even really think about that are the Royals prioritizing tall pitchers these days?
0: Well, I mean, you hit on a couple of guys that are, you know, previous regime. Yeah. you can call, it, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that because I think J.J. Piccolo has embraced the, you know, the Guardians, Rays, you know, everybody, you know, the, the more modern approach to things. They really, I think the relievers kind of tell the story more of maybe where they'll go with their pitching in the future because everybody's got, like, different arm action. You know, I think one of the reasons why they traded for Schreiber on Saturday is they didn't really have kind of – he's he's kind of three-quarters, like not quite sidearm, but he's a different look. And so I think that, you know, I think, you know, Dayton Moore had a type yep. would be fair to say when it came to, to drafting pitchers. Uh, and I think you'll see, you know, this regime would be much more likely to, to be like um, – let, let's take uh, Tim Lincecum. Right, we're going to come at you with a different, different look and a different feel. So, you know, yes, and I think everybody likes that downward plane and you know make it harder for the the players to lift the ball and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, it it is it is interesting to see kind of the mix. And I, I think what they did with all the you know the Michael Walker and the Seth Lugo and is and I've heard people be like, well, I mean, but are they going to you know is Hunter Renfro just going to be blocking time for this guy? It's like why is every other team you have to. Like bust your way in. You have to really earn your way in. And here in Kansas City, everybody laments that we're not just giving playing time to guys. Like who's been? They have zero players in ESPN's top 100. think like Blake Mitchell is getting some looks, and some of the other ones like he might have made the Baseball America one, just off being a first round pick last year. It's a donation for God's sake. He hasn't played, and so you you go in there. But they have zero top 100 players. Who the hell on this team deserves a spot just given to him? I mean, I kind of like this idea of. We're going to put real big leaguers on the team, and you're going to have to actually kick ass and earn a spot to get onto this roster.
1: Well, and Jack, wasn't that what last year was? I mean, last year was, okay, this is your chance, guys, to prove that you belong here. And they had a whole year, and clearly the answer on a lot of these guys in the rotation was, yeah, you don't belong here. Uh, you're going to have to do something else. I mean, is that, isn't that that what last year was about, Jack?
3: Yeah, it, it was kind of the evaluation year. Now, I was out at uh, Kaufman a few weeks ago for Royals Rally, You know, talked to John Sherman a little bit, and he said that he felt like that term was beat over the head just a little bit, like he didn't really want it to be called an evaluation year, but that's exactly what it was. Uh, JJ mentioned at the end of the year they wanted to see if Bobby Wood Jr. could be that cornerstone piece. They found that to be true. Yep. Uh, they really wanted to evaluate which starters they could use. They brought in two new starters and added four <laughs> They found that
0: to be untrue. They found that
3: to be untrue. The bullpen, right, the bullpen had to be evaluated, five new faces this offseason. They also wanted to see if Kyle Lisbell could play center field, uh, despite the bat not really being there. Defensively, you know, he can be one of the best in the American League. So there were things they definitely identified of what they needed to work on. But this offseason, I think they looked at the state of the farm system, you know, being a bottom-two farm system. Yes, you want to keep building on that. But they also can't afford to lose 106 again. They, they have to find a way to capitalize when the Central's at its weakest, which is right now. You know, I, I felt like, you know, midseason last year, you knew you weren't going anywhere. But it shouldn't have scared the Royals away from, well, we can't compete now in 2024 because we're not even close. I mean, last year, you look at a team like Detroit. Detroit had a very good bullpen. Uh, they found a lot of those guys off the scrap heap and developed them properly, you know, looked more on the analytical side of things. But Detroit had one of the worst offenses in the American League. They won 76 games and were in it until September. I think that, you know, J.J. Bacolo and John Sherman looked at that and said, we can boost this team a little bit. Our offense actually was the second best in, like, runs scored and, I think, slugging percentage, something like that, or batting average as a team behind Minnesota last year, who, of course, won the the division. division, In the the division, yeah, Yeah, not Mm -hmm. the American League, just the American League Central. That shows you how weak it was. So they go out there, they add a Waka, they add a Lugo. I mean, the fact that the first three starters last year were Granke, Lyles, and Keller, the third starter this year for the Royals will likely be Seth Lugo, who has one of the most expensive deals in franchise history. I mean, they've significantly raised the floor of this team, and, and that's what I think is more important than anything. They don't want to bottom out like they did last year
0: at 106 again.
1: So we've got Saran Petro and Jack Johnson with the tag team coverage of uh, the Royals in spring training. What's that?
0: So you said tag team coverage. I said back tag team. Oh, back again.
1: Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Sorry. You guys, uh, whoop! There it is. Humor. I yeah. guys
0: stepped all over your name. No, bed.
1: that's okay. I. You know what?
0: Playing the role of that's uh, what we Adam do here Provetta will be me today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what we do here, Thorin. I learned it by watching you, Adam. That's uh, uh, great. Um, so, hey, you you mentioned something there, uh, Jack in passing, um, and I think it was about Waka. I don't even remember which veteran pitcher it was, adding a new pitch, and that's going to be one of the themes. Well, that might carry a little more weight considering the story of Cole Reagans last year, coming to the Royals, picking up a new pitch, all of a sudden looking like he could be one of the best starting pitchers in all of the American League. And I I will tell you guys, last year I spent one day At Royals training camp. I was down there for sporting and they were training right across the parking lot. So I walked over there and I spent a good hour and a half talking to people, which means I am a qualified expert on everything (laughs) that happens in spring training. But the thing that I did notice when I was there that day, it was it was earlier in the season, a lot of pitchers and catcher stuff, watching the pitchers go through their their preseason work in 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 the Royals organization now under this new regime, and like you said, uh, Seren, with the new pitching lab and all that, it was completely different. You know, with the with the different machines they have out there, monitoring all the spin rates and all this other stuff, they clearly proved they could at least teach one guy a new pitch that would change him as a pitcher. How bought in are we on this pitching lab thing? Do because we didn't see the results last year with the with the pitchers. They decided we just covered. They decided okay, these guys maybe not so much. How much are we bought into this? Organization, this lab can teach these guys new pitches or can even help veteran pitchers discover something they didn't have before?
0: I, well, I, listen, I think it's the industry standard now. And, you know, talking to Jeff Passon uh, the other day, and, and he's like, listen, the scary thing is that. The things that they're doing is the things that other people were doing five and ten years ago. They're really advanced yeah. teams ten years ago, and most everybody else five years ago. They're playing catch up right now, and so I think it's I, I think it's you it's something you have to do. I don't, but I don't think it's something you see immediate results. They actually did, like you mentioned, it. Cole Reagans came over, and you know, and I think that was a little bit more just old school pitching coach. With you know, he went down and and I forget the pitching coach down and uh, AAA is a guy that's kind of being credited with giving him a new grip on the slider that he said he finally felt comfortable with and it really gave him a weapon to get swing and misses on lefties he was I mean that sounds like how's this guy have all this stuff and he's left-handed and he's you know but that was what really unlocked his potential and you know I, so I think it's 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 all those things it's the pitching lab it's you know and they've got now all the different you know resistance and weighted ball and all that stuff outside that, you know, I I don't remember seeing over there uh, in the past. But then it's also that, like, you know, Jeff Passon used the term once, the Rays have coaches who coach the coaches. You know, they have coach upon coach upon coach. And they hired a guy from Tread. They hired a guy from all these different, like, pitching labs that are out there. They've started hiring those guys and, and Jeffy he, he did say listen everybody's hired guys from that. Like are you are you getting the bottom of the barrel now if you're going there or are you truly getting are you just hiring someone to have someone or are you getting top of the line stuff? I, I don't know. Time will tell. But I do know that there is no shortage of expenditure on making sure there are a lot of coaches from a lot of places, giving all the ideas. And I've always felt like hitting coaches and pitching coaches is almost like you know, every every golfer has their own swing coach. There's not one guy teaching the whole PGA yet One guy teaches a whole pitching staff. It's always been kind of like, who's the guy you'll click with? And I think there's a lot less ego and a bigger understanding of the overall picture that a Brian Sweeney isn't worried. If you go click over here, great, what worked? All right, good, let's keep doing that. If you clicked over here with this guy or wherever it was, bring it in here. Let's understand why it's working, and then let's make sure we keep it on track. I think there's just more of a big boy approach to things.
1: Jack, do you think it's a matter of just catching up And is that enough? Because we're talking about, again, they don't have to go win the AL East. They just got to win the AL Central to get into the postseason. Is catching up to the rest of the league enough? Or do you think there's are are we seeing any signs of, of a progressive nature where the Royals are actually the team that are setting a trend in some area that maybe other teams aren't yet?
3: Yeah, I think when you look at small market teams, you know, what the Royals did this offseason was very much praised by everybody. I mean, you can scoff and laugh at at them and say, well, they still lost 106 and they only signed, you know, a mid 30s pitcher in Lugo and a mid 30s pitcher in Walker. They're not going to be much better than, you know, a 90 loss team. But the fact of the matter is. They're trying to compete, and that should be rewarded in baseball. I mean, if you're going to go out there and spend this type of money for an organization that rarely spends this type of money, and then, oh, by the way, you know, give your cornerstone piece a $300 million extension for double-digit amount of years, like this was, by all accounts, one of the most perfect off-seasons for the Royals. Were there some moves that maybe weren't as supported by everybody in the fan base? Yeah, I think the, the Adam Frazier deal felt very old-royal way, where it's you have a a light-hitting second baseman. But back to what Soren said, it's about competition, right? You know, Michael Massey, I think, is supposed to be this team's second baseman, but there's no harm in bringing in competition. You're going to have Nick Lofton competing for that spot, Adam Frazier, who started 141 games for the number one seed in the American League last year. Like, there is some experience there. And then even, you know, the, the move a couple days ago, John Schreiber coming over, who was great in three years or more so two years in Boston, and you gave up David Sandlin. But here's the thing about David Sandlin. He was an 11th-round pick out of Oklahoma. His ERA was near 6, and then you have Baseball America saying that, you know, he was a top-five prospect in the system, a bottom-farm system at that. But that tells me more about the pitching development. And when you do have faith in your minor league development – It allows you to kind of have more confidence in making these moves of, hey, we really want to overhaul this bullpen. We did not like where we were at last year. We feel like we bring in four or five new guys. We can start to compete in this division. And I believe that there are some small market teams out there going, hell, if the Royals can do this after tying a franchise record in losses, why can't we? Why can't our owner give some money there? We always think it's linear of you have to have a good farm system. Then you got to win some games. Then you got to be on the cusp of a playoff berth. Then you go spend money because that's the way it happened in 13, 14, and 15, right? They traded Will Myers. They got Wade Davis and James Shields. And then they traded Jayco to Rizzi. You know, they had... All these moves that kind of set him up for 14 and 15, but you have to adapt in baseball, right? The, the money ball saying adapt or die. And the Royals, for a couple of years, in the aftermath and winning the World Series, they were kind of dying off. They were still stuck in the old ways of how to win baseball. And, well, we got to go to the farm system. Now... It's kind of the new age. If you want to speed things up, you have to build together a competitive team on the field. Because you know what? If you can stabilize the rotation, stabilize the bullpen, fill some of the holes in the lineup, that makes your stars better. right? I think the last couple years, it was putting so much weight on Bobby Witt Jr., so much weight on Vinny Pasquantino. And when you don't have a lot of you know extra guys behind them, Those guys are going to struggle. Their slumps are going to be longer, and that's why this roster feels a lot more well-rounded out. It gives a better opportunity for, let's say, an MJ Melendez or a Kyle Isbell or a Michael Massey to feed off that, whereas last year, when those guys weren't hitting well or the pitchers weren't pitching well, they really had nobody else to lean on. I mean, the opening day starter last year, as much as we all love him, was 39-year-old Zach Granke. It could be Walker on opening day. It could be Reagans on opening day. I mean, Brady Singer who was dubbed at one point to be the ace of the staff, he's the number 4 likely in this rotation. So, yeah, I think for other teams out there looking at the small market aspect, you can do what the Royals can do. And if they lose 90 games, they lose 90 games. But that shouldn't scare you away from the process of trying to compete in the offseason.
1: Right, my final question for you, Soren, um, Jack just mentioned the contract for Bobby Wood Jr. I remember uh, quoting you many times when a couple years into Eric Cosmer's uh, era with the Royals, you pointed out, look, he's not going to become a Hall of Famer. If he was going to be on that track, he would have shown it in his first two years. He might become a really good player, but he's not that. Bobby Wood Jr. stands out to me very differently because it looks like uh, he might be like he's yeah. he's shown it now. Now, look, Eric Cosmer won a World Series. We've seen Hall of Famers like, you know, not win. But how big is it for the Royals to actually have Bobby Wood Jr. become that guy? And, and is he that guy?
0: Well, I think it's huge. I mean, he's the best talent since Carlos Beltran, who's, you know, maybe going to make the Hall of Fame. It's, it's probably going to be a close call and take a number of years if he does make it. But he's certainly their best talent since since Beltran. And, I, you know, I, we remember Beltran. It was a foregone conclusion that he wasn't going to be with the Royals back then. That just was reality. There was no chance of him signing. And I think, you know... Guys talk and agents talk and players talk and and I think all of these guys that came here they don't come here without Bobby Witt signing that contract, knowing that that was in the works and you know because I was hearing, you know that it was going to happen but it wasn't going to be as many years as people liked and I think that kind of ended up being the case in the seven years which buys two years of free agency than his options right but they were getting him done and so if you're Michael Walker or Seth Lugo and Seth Lugo in particular I think he was the big one to go first. You know, and they had to give him the extra years to get him signed, and then it was like, well, I'm hearing Bobby Witt's about to sign, and now they get Lugo, okay, and Will Smith comes in and you know starts rallying guys, like, okay, they're serious here, and so I think it was, I, I, I think you're right. He, you know, the rest of the league knows that this is a guy who's a really special talent, and I'm signing on with a team that has a budding superstar that they're committed to paying, and they're bringing in other veteran talent, and the division's easy to win. I think all of those and their and their over paying a little bit let's be clear I think every contract that they gave giving them player options yep. that second year yep. is the Royals overpaying and it's yep. it's the losers tax and God bless them John Sherman and this ownership group were willing to pay it and I, and I appreciate that and I appreciate making the big league club better because you know signing free agency doesn't cost you any players Right. Like yeah. You go, well, signing the free agents, they are, if you're not, you know, guys that are tendered and all that, there are draft picks that come with it. But, you know, it, it made them a, a better ball club at the big league level. And I think Bobby Witt is at the core of that. They developed the star and they're keeping the star. It, it it rids a lot of the stink off the organization. And now it's like, yeah, that's a place I can go play.
1: Well, you guys, uh, I know you've got a lot of coverage coming up, interviews to record. We're going to be listening to you all week long. Uh, thank well, They're you. all live, Nate. All live. Can't I can't mean, wait sorry. to come out and sorry. sit
0: down with me live all right. the way into the late afternoon, hanging around here, waiting to talk to us live.
1: You know what? Live or recorded, the content is the same, baby. <laughs> and uh, and it's really good stuff. Really appreciate you guys, and I'm hoping we'll be able to talk to you more as the week goes on.
0: Yeah. Looking forward to it, all Nate. Right. Thanks. hey Thanks, Jake. Thanks,
1: hey. Soren, keep your eyes on that Jack Johnson kid. All right, I hear he's a little bit of a hothead. So you know, he's, keep he's him little, calm. He's,
0: he's shifty. Yeah, I'll say that. He's shifty. unpredictable. A <laughs> hey, guy went and took my wallet out of the car today. <laughs> well, literally went took my wallet out of the car. Now it's because I forgot it A couple times I forgot <laughs> it, left it in the car, and he took it out and brought it to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, it took my wallet right out of the car.
1: Facts are facts. All right, buddy. That's Right. We'll see you guys. That's, all right, Soren uh, Petro and Jack Johnson live. This was not a recorded interview. This was live. Central Standard Time, 9.25 now. We'll take a break. Back after this on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Had some good college basketball action over the weekend. We already played for you a conversation between Bill Self and Greg Gurley after Kansas got a big win on the road over Oklahoma. Is that the start of the Jayhawks turning the corner a little bit? It sounded like Bill Self is optimistic that a week of rest – could help this team a lot as they come down the stretch with five games remaining. Still trying to catch up to Iowa State, Oklahoma, who are at the top of the Big 12 standings. Those two teams play each other tonight. How much, what did you say the line is on that game? Iowa State at Houston? I said Oklahoma, I meant Houston. Houston is favored by nine points. Both teams are nine and three in league play. Nine times. Nine point favorites, Houston at home. Mm against Iowa State tonight. Now, K-State plays at Texas tonight. Texas fell victim to the Houston Cougars, 82-61 over the weekend. K-State lost a heartbreaker on a last-second three-pointer at TCU. Texas, an eight-and-a-half-point
4: favorite in that one.
1: Eight-and-a-half points. So, Jerome Tang, here is is Jerome Tang after the game against the Horn Frogs.
4: Big-time shot by a big-time player, and, you know, in games like this, guys have to – players have to make plays, and he did. So credit to them. Uh, they're 20-8 to 8 on the offensive glass. Um, you know, like we couldn't overcome that, and especially when we don't shoot the ball well. So uh, – and all that's a credit to TCU. They, they did a great job. Thankful for our fans who showed up, and, and they were great, great support. You know, I thought our guys fought. Um, we are we always the smartest, and so we can – try to correct some of that, um, but I thought they gave everything they had. Uh, Jerome, it seemed like there were two times when you could have maybe put the game out of the reach for them,
1: up 10 in the first half, up 8 in the second half, both times they came right back at you. What do you think happened in those stretches?
4: Well, um, I don't know if you watched any of the other games, but in every game, pretty much every game they've played, the, they've either been up big and the other teams come back, or the other team's been up big and they've come back. They, they're just a team of runs. They, they play in spurts. And so we knew that though that was going to happen. But we also knew that when um, we, we couldn't extend it, you know, uh, that uh, they would make a comeback. And when they extended it, they would give us the opportunity to come back. So, I mean, they, they've been like that all year long. Um, so why couldn't we extend the lead? I think um, – You know, they got a really veteran group over there. Uh, I think before the season started, that team had scored over 8,000 points together in their college careers. And uh, they're the third oldest team in college basketball, so they don't get rattled. And, you know, whereas when the crowd's going crazy and... For some teams, it can like affect them. Uh, they they have the ability to come out and uh, and end runs and make plays, and so there's more credit for them than than our shortcoming.
1: I also, I want to ask you seem pretty fired up after some of David's hustle plays out there. What what did you like um, in that department,
4: Matt? You know, we uh we we showed some stuff on film where we thought we could get in the passing lane and you know really disrupt what they were doing, be more assertive. I, I didn't feel like we have, we have been aggressive enough defensively, and when you have a a high turnover percentage, um, the only thing to really combat that is to create a high turnover percentage, and that's really what I wanted to see today, and I thought David, in particular, uh, did a great job of uh, getting in the passing lane, getting deflections. I, I, I want to see us do more of that going forward. Tyler had 24 points, but was oh for something from the three-point line to kind of have that perseverance to kind of keep going at the bucket? What did you like about how he played? Uh, Man, you know, T.P.'s a fighter, and, you know, I was real proud of him because of how they were guarding him. It was hard for him to get off shots, but it didn't stop him from putting his head down and getting to the lane and taking, you know, the contact, and and he finished a couple and ones, and so um, really, really proud of him, you know, for that. Uh, I just... uh, You know, as a team, we didn't shoot it well. It wasn't just him. As a team, we didn't shoot it well from three. And when you don't shoot it well from three, you can't allow other teams to get second chance points.
3: Mental toughness wise, Cam kind of struggled throughout the entire game, then had to hit those two huge free throws to have the chance at maybe extending the game. He hits those. Just thoughts on on him being able to do that?
4: He's Louisiana tough. You know, kids from Louisiana, man, something about them. And I uh, call them Louisiana animals, and uh, he had missed two prior to that, and I had all the confidence in the world he was going to make him. You guys have now
3: lost six out of the last seven. How do you keep your guys focused and not panicking after this stretch?
4: Uh, the same way we'd do it if we had won one six of the last seven. We're going to take this game, we're going to put it in a box, and we're going to move on now. I'm not going to tell you that, like, it doesn't hurt, right? Like, it hurts, but you got to put it in the box, and we have to move on to the next one because we got a Texas Longhorn team that's playing at home that's in some of the same situations that we're in, you know. And uh, I remember uh, we had Baylor one year, and we started, I think we started 2-0, and and no, we we, we lost um, uh, eight of our first ten games. So we were 2-8. and eight. And then, you know, was able to get healthy and like keep guys moving forward and we never stopped and uh, won seven of our last eight games, um, won two games or three games in the conference tournament got to the NCAA tournament, went to the Sweet 16. And so um, there's nobody in that locker room that's quitting. There's nobody in the locker room that's panicking. You know, this is a big 12 game that comes down to one possession, and we can figure out how to correct one or two possessions and flip this thing. And I was asking Tom, I think this is, uh, while I've since I've been here, this is my first one being on the wrong side of one of those, right? And uh, it's going to happen, you know, it's going to happen over time so uh, but was really proud of the way our guys fought and how we executed to put ourselves in a tied situation you know with them with the ball and then defensively at the end exactly what we wanted right other than the shot going in you know we took them out of their ball screen action because we went zone and uh, he shot a step back three from 25 contested you know I mean that's a for most people it's a nineteen percent shot. He just that was just the nineteen percent that went in. So
3: is everything good with Jarrell?
4: I think so. We'll, we'll see. He tweaked it pretty bad and uh and but um he was able to go in the second half. I just you could just tell he was not as quick. And so, you know, try try to get keep Will out there more. So there's Jerome Tang
1: after Suffering a heartbreaking loss at home. Tie game. Jameer Nelson Jr. buries a step back three at the end of the game to knock off K State, which bumps him down to five and seven in league play. That puts him in a three-way tie in the Big Twelve standings with Texas and Cincinnati. Obviously there'll be tiebreakers and all that when it comes to seeding out the Big Twelve tournament, but for right now I just look I just look at it as a tie because, you know, we'll see where things go from here. Five and seven is the record so far in conference play. And the thing that's tough about playing in a league like this, you drop a home game like that. Now, by the way, also, it's tough if you're K State because if Nelson misses that shot and it goes to overtime, feel pretty good. K State's going to win, right? They got a decent record in overtime. 11 and 0 under Jerome Tang. Um, but they didn't get to overtime. They lose the game. And so what happens in the Big 12 is you lose that home game and now you turn around and two days later you're at Texas. Now, how good are Texas? They're 5-7 and in the league as well. Every time, to me, they're like the team in the league. Every time you think, oh, man, they could be really dangerous, they turn around and they look bad. They have wins, Texas. We talk about KU's wins. They've got a win against Baylor, a win at Oklahoma, a win at TCU. Those are damn good wins. They've also got a loss at West Virginia, a loss at home to Central Florida, Now, losing to Iowa State and Houston, their last two losses, nothing to be embarrassed about there. They did get spanked by Houston pretty good. This is going to be a tough game. K-State at Texas is a tough game. That's what they've got on tap tonight, and that comes after the Iowa State versus Houston game. So we're talking about an Iowa State team that's got a really good record. It's a nine-point dog on the road. And then a K-State team that's got the same record in league play as Texas – they're eight-and-a-half-point underdogs. Is that what you said, Jake? Um, so, tough game for the Wildcats coming up tonight. And it should be, look, I don't know how much Big 12 basketball has been on the radar for the average person in Kansas City over the past, <laughs> since the season started, just because obviously the Chiefs have been taking up so much of our bandwidth. Five games left in league play, and uh, six if uh, for the teams that are playing tonight tonight. Um, it's a good time to start paying attention. The race is depending on, you know, everybody's got something to play for. If you're K-State, you're playing for the tournament. They've got big games coming up down the stretch. They got BYU at home after this one. They got West Virginia at home. Should rack up a couple of dubs there, you would think. And BYU's not going to be some pushover. They're ranked. At Cincinnati, winnable game. At Kansas, huh? it's a rivalry game, so you never know. Then at home against Iowa State, they got a chance to put some things together here on the resume going down the stretch. So a lot of reasons to start paying attention to what's going on in the Big 12. We will take a break. Back after this on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Looking through an uh, article from ESPN.com about the most likely franchise tag candidates from each team. The Cincinnati Bengals have listed T. Higgins, ESPN has listed T. Higgins as the most likely candidate for a franchise tag for the Bengals. They say in his end-of-season news conference, quarterback Joe Burrow made it clear he expects Higgins to be back for 2024. With a long-term deal, a big question mark, the franchise tag is the most logical solution for the Bengals if they want to keep Higgins for at least another season. The Bengals have the cap flexibility to keep Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Burrow together for another run. That doesn't disappoint you, though, Jake, right? You're not interested in trying to sign T Higgins to the kind of money that it would take oh, if I you mean, were I'd free. I'd love agent. to have him. I think it'd be, but at you. the cost that it would take, no, you're not interested. No, I mean, I mean, what, what are we
2: talking? I don't think you should ever pay pay a wide receiver quarterback money. And that's Tyreek Hill got paid that. Devontae Adams got paid that. And if he's looking for that, well. And look, just because those are the most likely players to get franchise tagged doesn't mean they will. I mean, right.
1: I, I, they might be able to use that franchise tag as a means to getting a, a long term deal done, too. Because um, I, I think only six or seven teams used the tag last year. All right, so this poses an interesting question in my mind because we talk and talk about how everybody's in search for the quarterback that can beat Patrick Mahomes, right? If you are running another football team, what do you think is a more likely path to success? Building a team that has enough great players around a good quarterback to give yourself a shot, or finding that quarterback that's actually the equal of Patrick Mahomes, or at least good enough to beat him. I mean, cause does the second one even exist? No, not right now it doesn't. Right? Like there's no quarterback on earth as good as Patrick Mahomes. So you can sit there and tr- hope you draft the guy that nobody knows is about to become as big of a star as him or you go pay Tyreek Hill. <laughs> right. And you do what the 49ers did and you hope it's good enough to beat to win. I think that's the only way you can do it. Right? I mean
2: look like Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the season. He was better. He was, quote, unquote,
1: the better quarterback this year. Right. He was the better quarterback. Until it mattered. Bingo. Right. But so it's like... I mean, the regular season matters, but you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Crunch time. Until it really mattered.
2: So it's like you you can have that guy and it doesn't matter because none of those guys are Patrick Mahomes in the
1: postseason. Right. And you can have that team... Because that's kind of what the 49ers were, right? They're the team. They got – we'll see. Maybe Brock Purdy turns out to be a special quarterback. But right now it it feels he's a good quarterback surrounded by incredible offensive players, a good scheme, and a really good defense. All the pieces
2: were there, right? I go back to what I said earlier in in, in the show where I said it has to be the the combination of the quarterback and the coach. Because, look – Is
1: Shanahan not that coach or just not that coach yet? He wasn't.
2: He, or was, is, he wasn't yeah. on Super Bowl Sunday, and neither was their defensive coordinator. It's a whole coaching staff, right? Because you, you got got yeah. Spags, Andy Reid, Dave I mean, What Tog. a different Spags has made, right? right? And because so with Andy
1: like, Reid and Bob Sutton,
2: it wasn't the same deal. It's the whole coaching staff. Do you have yeah. a whole staff that can go up against the Chiefs? Because, like, and the answer to that question for the 49ers was no. And the answer to that question for the Ravens was no. And the answer to that question for the Bills was no. Because in all three of those games the Chiefs' coaching staff outcoached them, like, significantly. Like, the yeah. Ravens had six runs with their running back, a team that led the league in rushing, which was their identity. And the Chiefs got them to step outside of who they are. Shanahan has McCaffrey. In his first three possessions of the second half, he threw the ball seven of eight plays. One was a quarterback sneak, well, uh, running out of pressure but he only had one design running play and three possessions and they weren't you know they what are you doing there? Yeah you were they you had were, the lead right? You're winning the game <laughs> and you have <laughs> had the best, lead most dangerous player who can probably is the only person who could beat the chiefs in this league.
1: And they, they and went then away it's from it. Well documented their situation in overtime. I mean, people can sit there right. and make the case that they didn't make the wrong call, but nobody can argue the fact that their players didn't know.
2: Right. And, and look. And, and then
1: I'm listening to Travis Kelsey on the New Heights podcast talking about, oh yeah, we had our guy come in. We had multiple meetings. Every both weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, yeah. because Andy Reid also knows that just because you tell a bunch of football players something one time doesn't mean they're all fifty three are going to remember it. Right, you have to pound it into their head. <laughs> yeah, we're going to meet on this over and over again. Right, tell everybody gets it. Until so they must yeah. be trying to make
2: a point to us because yeah. it's the fourth time I've heard this. Maybe yeah. I should pay attention. So it's like it's not just the quarterback. It's like you got to find you got to find the whole the whole thing because yeah. that's what the Chiefs have. They have it all. Yeah, right? they have the quarterback and they have the coaching staff. Right, and that's
1: that's pretty much what it takes. It's just going to be interesting because the, the the question in the NFL, as long as they have that quarterback coaching combo, is how do we get how do we get a team that can beat the Chiefs in the postseason? And that's a hard hard recipe, but everyone's going to keep looking for it. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Partner, good stuff today, buddy. We'll do it again tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Probably? We should. Hopefully uh, Stephen's voice gets a little bit better. He's rested and ready to return. Until then, enjoy your Monday, and we will see you right back here tomorrow morning on Sports Radio 810 WHB.